0: Welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, one of my favorite vocalists of all time, Lisa Cacaula, of the Bell Rays, of the Rose Thorns, uh, and, and of the greatest, one of the greatest songs ever ever her version of I Gotta Right" with James Williamson. We'll talk about all that and more in a second. But this is one of two fantastic episodes in celebration of a tentative tour coming up in May with uh, the Bell Rays and Slim Cessna's Auto Club. You can check out the episode that I also did with Slim Cessna. They're both dropping today in celebration of this monster tour in collaboration with my, my... my good buddy, Melanie Kay. And I say tentative because as you are, I'm sure, going with as well uh, right now, there's uh, mitigating factors that have really changed the landscape of our world. There's no other way to put it. Uh, I want you to know, as I said on the other podcast, that this podcast will continue to kind of function as normal and, and, and just be a place where you can kind of go and unplug. And I realize that we are all going through this and we're all going through this in different ways and at different levels. So right now it's very important for us to look out for the more vulnerable people around us. That being said, um, if you are a Patreon subscriber to this podcast and you need to plug out or or check off or whatever you need to do, look out for yourself right now. I totally understand. Um, But I'm going to continue to keep doing content over on this thing. Uh, There's going to be at least two episodes a week from now on. I'm going to try and put together another kind of, you know, semi-regular podcast uh, with people just to be a place where you can go and listen to people talk about music and and, and not feel uh, like this is the only thing that we're going to have to deal with for the rest of our lives because I, I really do believe because you have to believe that we're going to get through this. Um, so right now we just look out for the people around us and... Stay safe, wash your friggin' hands. Don't, don't hoard, uh, look out for the more vulnerable people around you, take care of them and yeah, stay safe. And we're going to get through this. Um, and this is going to be a place where you can kind of continue to come and check out (laughs) completely meaningless conversations about something that is ultimately meaningless in the grand scheme of things, but who gives a fuck it, 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 gives you something to listen to. And if you're stuck at home with the kids, it will continue to be a place where you can listen to this podcast. Hopefully with your, with your kids, uh, very rarely. There are certain guests that I think you should take into consideration before you play with your kids. But, um, if you're stuck at home with them, uh, but that's it. Okay. Uh, I, I will move on and not talk about it anymore. Uh, Other other than to say, please check your local listings before the May 14th kickoff of this tour with Slim Cessna and the Bell Rays. But if it's going on, if everything's figured out by then, um, go out and check out this band. Check out the Bell Rays because they are one of the best live bands on the planet. Slim Cessna is also incredible. Head over to the Slim Cessna episode and check out that one but oh but this this, uh more on that in a second but first if you want to get in touch with me head over to the email address the facebook page or the instagram page all turned out a punk run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire tristan abraham and he will get the message to me i am not really doing social media right now for my own mental health sake uh but you can you know check that stuff out i'm gonna be posting things on instagram for sure about the podcast to once again see serve as a distraction for some people but i just think for my own sake i'm unplugging in maybe you should think about it too if you're someone like myself who deals with a lot of anxiety it might not be the best place to kind of be uh plugged into right now because there's a lot of anxiety to go around there's more than our fair share anyway. Uh, so yeah, uh, you can get in touch with me, I guess, through the other social media channels and I, I I will still be posting stuff on Instagram, but not, not so much Twitter right now. So, but that is at left for Damien. The best way to support this show is by telling all your friends about it, subscribing to it, writing a review and rating it if you can. And, um, and, and you know, if you if you want to, you can check out the Patreon. We're going to keep doing footnotes over on the Patreon. Um, and, yeah, and, and keep posting all that stuff. But, you know, I'm totally entertained if you can't do that right now. Speaking of support, want to thank Vans for their kind support of this podcast and helping me keep the lights on. Uh, House of Vans is suspended for the time being. But as soon as they're allowed to, those will be back with a vengeance and will be incredible parties to get a chance to go and check out again and, and celebrate and be free again. Oh, my God. Oh my God. I can't wait for house of man's party to get rescheduled. Oh, I hope that's coming soon, but you know, anyway, uh, and uh, that's it. Uh, you know, you know, and, and that's it. Okay. On to today. I'll oh, check out the wrestlers on streaming services. If you want, um, dive into the archive of this podcast. There's lots of killer episodes back there and, and, Check them all out. Um, All right, on to today's episode. Today, Lisa Kakula of The Bell Rays is on the show and of The Dangers, of Lisa and the Lips, of the incredible uh, 7 inch. I think there was maybe even another record she did with James Williamson. Both are worthy of your checking out, but I Got to Write is the one that, oh, one of my favorite songs ever. One of my favorite versions of my favorite songs ever. It's, oh, anyway. Uh, Lisa is someone that I've been a fan of for a very long time. And when my friend Melanie reached out and said, you know, do you want to have her on the show? I was like, absolutely. Holy. And to get to sit down and do this with her. Oh, that's why I do this thing. Uh, Lisa talks about a lot of really amazing things, a lot of interesting things, a lot of very important things. Yeah. This is a great episode. I, I strongly, uh, yeah, (laughs) I just can't, uh, you know. I can't uh, stress that enough. I love this episode so much. Okay, so I'm not going to ramble on, actually, anymore. I'm going to let you sit back, relax, unplug for a second, and enjoy Lisa Kakaula of the Bell Rays on Turned Out a Punk. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, as I was just telling you off air, I'm a huge fan of of all your all all your work that I've heard. And, yay, uh, yay! Gonna,
1: we need those.
0: <laughs> we're going to get into a bunch of different projects that you've worked on, and I think you have. I didn't say, tell you this off air because I didn't want to 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 risk having you put you through this twice. But I think you've got one of the best rock vocals ever, ever oh, hands thank down. You. Thank so, you very much. But before I get to everything, we got to start this thing off the way they all start off, which is, Lisa, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre?
1: Oh my god, um, I had to have been like, uh, like a preteen, not even a teenager then, and and I, I want to say it was just kind of like where you accidentally hear something that you don't know is that different (laughs) from, from everything you had been listening to. I mean, if you think about it, I'm, I'm from Southern California and, um, I was here, you know, we had KLOS and kiss FM and those kind of radio stations. And then you just started hearing these different things kind of seep through the, through, uh, I want to say through radio, but it wasn't all just kind of coming at us that way. It would be, you know, you'd be at school and somebody would have a record. And I want to say, one of the first things that I ever heard was, uh, I want to say it was X. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know, you know, I don't even remember what song, but I just remember having to ask somebody who was that and them saying (laughs) (laughs) that that's who that was. And it being just kind of one of those tertiary things, because I wasn't, I wasn't really a punk, a kid that was into punk at that time, but that was about the first time that I heard it. And it, it really started to infiltrate everything. So I don't really know if if anything was, was really uh pure whatever it thought it was before that after after punk started kind of seeping its way through. That's the way that I I always looked at it. And I, I feel I feel like it was similar for myself, that it wasn't a thing where I was like, oh, I'm going to all these punk shows or doing any of that. It was more like it was in the air and I was affected by it.
0: Absolutely. So I guess going back before that, like what kind of music were you into growing up? And did you grow up in like a music household?
1: Um, I grew up in a house that had lots of records and my mom always sang. My dad, my dad sings, but he's tone deaf. So <laughs> <But> he would <laughs> sing every song he could, but it was a, it was more of a Motown house. You mm-hmm. know, I would say that was, we didn't really, we, <clears throat> What's the, I don't know where you're from. Are you in California?
0: No, I'm Are from you, Toronto, Canada.
1: Toronto, Canada. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a, it, it might have been a different experience, but for us, we had AM radio out here, and it was like everything was just mixed onto that. Mm-hmm. So I never really thought of it as being like it is now, where everything is just like, oh, well, what do you listen to? And you listen to this, this one thing, and it, and it wasn't ever really like that uh, growing up. You just kind of listened to whatever came on the radio. So we'd be listening in the car, and it would be – you know, Joe Tex and then the Beatles and then, uh, Martha and the Vandellas. And I mean, it just, it just, it moved around. It was, it got funky, it got Rocky, it got whatever. And I listened to all of that music. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't ever kind of looking to, to just kind of, uh, just listen to one type of music. I never thought that that was a thing that people did really.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, I guess like as until you're kind of, force that upon you. You you don't really Mm. have to choose. Like it's not a natural thing to only like one sound.
1: Right. Right. And we were big TV heads back then. I mean, that was entertainment. So music was integral to television. And if you think about how theme songs and all of that stuff kind of bit off of all of these different genres during that time as well, I think it broadened our minds toward uh, just being open to whatever whatever we heard, at least it did that to me. Maybe it didn't work that way on everybody, but I felt like it did that for me.
0: And what were your first, you know, experiences with live music like? Like, do you remember some of the first artists you went to see live? Um, Any genre, obviously.
1: Yeah, I mean, the first concert that I was like, okay, this is, I'm going here to see this band play. I remember going to see Fishbone. Oh, wow! Like yeah. that was a choice to go, like, I'm gonna go see them. They're coming close to where we live um and it was a free show and i could you know i could get out of the house <laughs> so, <laughs> i wasn't one of those kids where my parents really let me go out and go do stuff like that like i i had tons of friends that got to just go to all the cool venues to just go see everybody playing all the time and not me so i remember <laughs> i remember very well being able to go see uh fishbone
0: and where'd you heard of fishbone? Like was once again, probably like on TV or through the radio, I guess.
1: No. Um, actually I had friends of mine that had gone down and seen some of the shows and then we heard about them. They were, they were really, they they were a buzz in LA when they were first coming up. This is before the, before their record came out before, I think it might've even been before CBS had actually even signed them. And we just knew we knew they were out there mm-hmm. and wanted to see them. And I I just remember a friend of mine coming um, coming back from seeing a show and talking about how she saw this band, and it was just kind of an amazing thing that she couldn't even really put into words. And then she, I think she had a demo or something like that, and we got to hear a little bit of it. And then we got to go see them, I want to say, about Four months late, or we being me, got to go see them. She had already seen them and knew what they. Were. <laughs> but, but I just remember it was a it was a very exciting time.
0: They're such an uh, obviously well as you as you know better than myself like an unbelievable transformative live <sighs> band like it's oh just, my god uh, it, yeah like a, a transcendent experience live
1: oh my god and and back then. And back oh. I mean, I, I hate to be one of those people that ever says no, stuff be like it, that, be
0: but it. it's, Absolutely. it's one
1: of those, it was one of those things where they didn't even really know, they didn't play by the rules. That's what mm-hmm. I really dug about them. It wasn't like, oh, well, you know, we're only going to have one lead singer and we're going to do this and all this other stuff. No, they were like fighting to be the lead. Like each one of them was fighting to be the lead. And they had all these songs that were just crazy. They weren't ska. They weren't funk. They weren't just one thing they they were all of that and they the other thing that I loved about them is that they kind of reminded me of the the life that I was living which was completely affected by busing and wasn't the life that my parents had had where it was a fully integrated school living in these areas where you're where you have white kids and black kids and, and everybody's economic, you know, it's all jumbled up, you know, it's not just a bunch of rich kids. It's not just a, it, it it just, I don't know. It was a, it was a neat time. It was a neat time to be going to school. And and I think that they reflected, they had, they, they seemed like they were that band that kind of was the poster, the poster child for all of us kids that were growing up with that.
0: I, I guess like that experience is also just so reflective of like the geographical nature of, of Los Angeles being this sort of like, meshing of all these different communities and that that oh yeah like it's such such a they're they're the band that kind of comes up with that sound
1: yeah to me and but you know if you told that to the rest of the world they wouldn't know that yeah they wouldn't know that that band would that that band that without that band you wouldn't have the red hot chili peppers without (laughs) that band you wouldn't have no doubt without Mm -hmm. that band you wouldn't have any of these other groups you know the you know it it's Everybody says it's not about race, but it's all about race, because when it boils right down to it, a bunch of people just didn't want to know what five young black gentlemen had to say during that time. So that's why you don't really know yeah. who they are.
0: hundred <laughs> Well, like the fact that they go back to 1979, but it took until 1986 to get a record out like oh, that, yeah. I think, speaks oh, to yeah. exactly what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, it does. It really does. But they were, they were young. I mean, when they say when they go back to 79, they were like in junior high school. <laughs> they were young. They were super, super young. So they had to learn how to play, but they did learn how to play. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, and I, I've watched some video footage of them recently and it's unbelievable. Like it, it you'd think they were still in junior high in 1979 awesome. from the energy level.
1: Oh, awesome. I love it. I love it. I love those guys. I love them. It was like our live version of Fat Albert and the gang. <laughs> you know, when, when we saw them play live, it was, it was, everybody thinks that things have always been weird and people have always done these crazy things. And when I think about a band like Fishbone, that was, you know, cause you had, you had a punk scene, but you really didn't have that many black bands in that. You know, where it was just a bunch of black guys doing it. And if you did, they were on the East Coast. It was like, you know, Bad Brains. And by the time that I was trying to watch Fishbone, I think Bad Brains had already broken up. I don't even I don't even think they were still together. So for us to have something to really glom onto and just say, yeah, man, that that kind of speaks for me. That was (laughs) that
0: was that group. I guess, like also locally, what were some of the other artists or, or groups, like people that didn't even get records out necessarily, that you saw that you kind of were like uh, they should be on on an international stage?
1: Oh man! Um, well, there was a band, and in fact, the the our bass player that we have right now, he the first time that we ever saw him, he was in a group. It wasn't a they weren't so much punk, but I guess they fell in that in that category. They were called Samba Hell. Okay. And, um, I had first seen them. I wanna say it was eighty eight or eighty nine they They came into Riverside and um, just kind of played some outdoor fest and it wasn't they didn't sing at all. It was all instrumental, and they were amazing. They were one of the cleanest, sharpest bands that i had I had ever seen. I had never seen or heard anything like them it was it was just their the way they heard music is how it came out there and i always felt like they were they were one of those bands that on the verge of like you know getting on one of those lollapaloozas or one of those big show mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. they broke up like <laughs> uh. like right before it right before they were going to be you know exposed on any kind of level and yeah it was just it was just a it's a drag that nobody ever really knew who they were
0: yeah i've never heard of them did they record
1: at all they did, I th- want to say vinyl. I don't know if they actually even did uh, did any kind of CDs or anything, but they did, I want to say I saw a couple different vinyl okay. things, and they were from San Diego more than, uh, more than L.A. I'm
0: but gonna have yeah, to look you, out for that now.
1: Yeah, Samba Hell. Samba Hell, they were really, I saw them and Pop Defect together.
0: Oh, that sounds like, I know Pop Defect, definitely.
1: Pop Defect, yeah, and that was, and that show, that was just an amazing show, and it was an outdoor show, for free. I mean, there was just so much good music just kind of rolling up and you just happened to be there to see it. And, and that level of exposure was just wonderful. Wonderful.
0: I, I find it such an interesting time, like obviously looking, you know, temporally and geographically from a, a distance, but like, I find that period of, of music in Southern California, like really interesting, like post kind of hardcore, um, You know, and all the violence that was associated with it in the later years, mm-hmm, kind of like mm-hmm. Sunset Strip stuff and is rearing its ugly head at the maximum extreme. But you have all these kind of cool, interesting fusion things happening and, and just different like people trying different things and kind of like laying the stage for for like, I guess, what would be the alternative thing that's going to come a few years later?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it come a few years later and it was already happening in a lot of other um suburban areas. Like I'm from Riverside Mm -hmm. and that's basically where we, you know, all of the shows and stuff that we went to Spanky's was, was just starting. And, and you had the UCR barn and those kind of areas. And, um, the swing auditorium had only been burned down for about what, seven years by then or something like that. (laughs) So you still had this very rich rock and roll culture that, that was out here, but it had gotten younger obviously and had and had been influenced by punk so you had all these people out here doing shows and and music that was really popping off all over the place but it just seemed like you know what ended up being the focal point after that was like everything that happened in orange county which was does not reflect everything that was going on out here i mean we were coming up during that time we were doing what we, how we saw our music, how we, what we wanted to do during this time, and there were lots of other bands that were doing something else that mm-hmm. wasn't, that didn't just fit, you know, ska or anything else as well. We were those, we were those people that had gone to those fishbone shows and said, "Hey, why don't we do our band?" You
0: know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I <laughs> I find it just like so awesome, like thinking that, like the same time, you know, the 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 rose thorns are getting going. You've got, you know, the people that are doing kind of power violence stuff doing their thing. You've got, you know, as you mentioned, kind of the Southern California stuff beginning to kind of form up and bubble up as well. It's like all different kind of, uh, you know, like as punk influence people, but taking it in completely different places.
1: Oh, yeah. We had scooter rallies that would come out here. And that was the other thing is that scooter rallies wasn't just about ska. Mm-hmm. Like, those, they had show—like, those guys would put on shows that just really crossed the gamut. I mean, you just had—you had, you had great music at those shows. And they would—I was just always shocked by how they would turn a basement of empty, like, some old rundown building that was on the verge of being condemned— They would fill it with like a thousand kids in a night and no posters or no nothing. You wouldn't see anything, anybody talking about it. It was just kind of word of mouth and they'd come out and they would party hard,
0: hard, hard. It's almost like proto rave culture in a way.
1: Yeah, it is. It totally is. I feel like a lot of these people, well, we have all the guys, the guys that that were here doing a lot of that stuff. Are the guys that are now doing Coachella? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the ones that were here in Riverside doing yeah. all of that. They yeah. were those. They were. The, they are those guys mm-hmm. that that were thinking that um, that knew how to get the word out, knew how to put a show on. Um, they were very resourceful and in in a very limited scope, if you think about it. And people weren't really ever shining a light on it. I mean, you can't help but see them now but they weren't back in the day. (laughs) Back in the day, nobody, nobody was thinking that. (laughs) Uh,
0: It's also amazing how, you know, Riverside does have that sort of real history of ska and and ska-influenced music coming out of it, like, you know, right into the the late 90s and into the 2000s, right? I think about a bunch of old ska compilations, even with like a sort of jelly beans and stuff on it. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. why do you think that is? I mean,
1: if I was going to be like totally and completely honest about a lot of it. So much of it had to do with a bunch of kids in the high schools around here being that age and going to those shows and seeing Fishbone and seeing um, going, I mean, culturally, uh, fashion-wise, what was happening, everything about it was just, I mean, California just soaked all that shit up. You know, being on a scooter, running around, doing all of that stuff, getting behind the music, kind of being, uh, what is it, being dangerous but being well-dressed at the same time. <laughs> yeah. There was just yeah. that, there was that element of of those things. And, and kids that still were planning on going to college, I always felt like it was a very neat uh, box for kids that didn't really know oh How far they were really going to take this rock and roll thing.
0: Okay, yeah. Now that you say that, it makes total sense.
1: Executive rocker kind Executive of thing.
0: <laughs> no job stopping tattoos. Like, right. You're going to keep right. it. Can you right. say just right. smart? weren't even
1: a thing yet, man. They weren't even a thing. <laughs> oh, my God. Everybody's body was clean. Nobody <laughs> had any of that back then. Oh, my goodness.
0: It's funny though, like how this this kind of movement that you know, like the 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 mod culture, like the uh, the ska, mm-hmm. obviously ska culture from England, got transported, obviously from Jamaica to England first, but then right then transposed again, and you know the place that it finds most kind of like uh, I guess fertile soil is is Southern California, somewhere you know so radically different from the UK, but I guess similar more in the sunshine to Jamaica in a way but like it's just interesting that it didn't take in New York in the same sort of way it did in Boston
1: and and the way that it took in Orange County specifically you know it's it that that whole thing down there cuz if you just think about what it meant when those kids were first starting to do that stuff doing the you know being in those sky bands and then what it became 10 years later when you had it uh more a more corporate sheen all over it. You know, once, once they were able to just kind of really monetize it, every band had a girl in it. Everybody had a silly hat on and all of this other shit, you know, (laughs) that they did for all of those bands in the late, in the mid to late nineties, um, after no doubt broke. But I remember going to see them at Fenders in the same show with Fishbone and the Crooked and all of these other bands, just, I mean, it it was a, and the Skeletones who are from here and, um i mean it was it was it was a different vibe they had they used to have a another a guy singing with them back then that was really good it was a it was her and somebody else doing singing together
0: oh really But like, they were young dual, yeah dual vocal thing
1: dual vocal thing uh black guy i can't remember his name but he was that was that was probably one of their first shows i want to say it was like 86 or something like that Eighty-five, eighty-six.
0: So, were you like the Rose Thorns put out that record a few years later? But were you playing music by this point yourself?
1: Well, I was playing music, but not that kind of music. Okay. I had, I didn't have a band or anything like that um, during any of that time. I was, I was in school. Uh, I got a. I was doing more. I I think I was in a jazz band or something at the time. I really didn't have the wherewithal to actually put a band together. Uh, That wasn't even something I was thinking about. I just thought that you went somewhere and said, "Hey, I'd like to sing," and then you show up and then they let you sing. (laughs) I was, you know, super green. I had no idea of any of that stuff, and then I. Then I met Bob. Um, we were working at a place on campus called uh, it was some burger joint called the Bullet Mouth. And then we were, we got put on a bunch of cooking shifts together. And he said he was looking for a singer. So I went and I auditioned for him, for his band. And that was like the first real rock and roll band audition that I had.
0: And had you performed live at all before that?
1: I had done acapella cappella things on my own like you know where you just kind of show up and and sing or you know campfire go to camp and do talent show kind of stuff that kind of thing but it was never anything really like oh I'm a singer and this is what I do and (laughs) no I hadn't really done any of that I had to that was a grueling and very ugly process <laughs> to learn how to do that. There is nothing romantic about that at all. <laughs>
0: yeah. I think that is that is a one universal amongst all vocalists, I think, is that it's a it's a it's a learning curve.
1: Ooh, and it oh yeah. It's those are the times when you're just like, oh, I'm so glad. I don't know what I'd do if it was if I was growing up in today's society yeah, as a singer yeah. and I had a recording of every shitty version of every song that i ever did and somebody just waiting to post it just waiting to put it up
0: there. yeah no it's i went over to a friend's house and he had just recorded his first song ever and he's like i want to put it up online and i'm like are you sure don't you, i know <laughs>
1: don't, don't do that <laughs> I mean, think about this guy, really think about really? it. Really? <laughs> because once you once it's up there, you can't pull it back down. Like I'm even afraid I'd be afraid to just be playing it in my house. Yeah. Just in case
0: <laughs> in case Siri something decides something to release it. it I
1: know. Yeah. I know. One time I was in in somebody's room and they had one of those Amazon things and a TV commercial came on with, you know, that that asked to play Whitney Houston, and then all of a sudden there's Whitney Houston playing in the house. <laughs> yeah. so I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just not that. Uh... It's really hard as an artist to hear myself or hear things that I've done, even if they came out great. Like, mm-hmm. it's really hard to listen to them uh, with, when they sound good. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so I really can't imagine what it would be like trying to listen to them when they sound. Ugh.
0: Yeah, I, I guess the other thing that's technology really impact is all the stuff we're talking about, like the idea of like a regional scene developing and and the idea that like these things can happen kind of without, you know, anything that's interesting being exposed to everyone right at hmm. the onset.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, yes and no. I feel like that. I feel like there's this whole thing where people think are like, you know, you can just put your music out there, and then all of a sudden people know who you are, and you're just out there, and you don't really have to lump it or do any of this other stuff. And the proof is in the pudding, because to me, it's one of those things where as soon as you go see somebody, they have and they don't have that thing that you need to see when somebody goes to perform. They've put a basically an expiration date on how long they're gonna be able to do what they do because they've never they don't even know what it's like to lump it. Yeah. They don't know what that means to put some blood and soul and uh, you know, put some mileage on it before you actually do it. Cause we we had to put some miles on our band <laughs> before we ever started playing out, like getting tours and doing that kind of thing. And we were and we played a lot. We rehearsed a lot and we played a lot. But you know, that doesn't that doesn't guarantee shit. You no, know?
0: No. But and I guess that's what I, I mean. Like, that's kind of changed. Like, I think the idea of like, you know, like uh, touring before you put your song out, you know, like that's like. Oh, un- that's what you. Now, OK, you know, well,
1: like, yeah, it is. And I and and actually smartly, that is a that is a thing that I, I feel like that's a more positive thing yeah. that could have come <laughs> from a lot of this than than anything else. But there's still the I think some people still confuse that with like, oh, well, you know. I shouldn't be playing out live until I'm touring. I'm like, no, you should be playing out live as much as you can play out live. You need to be out playing locally like every chance you get. If you can get a standing gig to play someplace once a week or play, you know, twice a week out in front of people because you're getting your, your you you have different different little categories for your 10,000 hours that you need to get in your songwriting, your Uh, you're working on your craft as well as your performance, your ability to actually um, do that in front of people and, and, you know, kind of proof of, proof of worth. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know a hundred percent. Like you can't, well, like you said, the 10,000 hour rule, like you can't, you can't cheat that.
1: No, no, there are, I mean, I think people try to look at it like, well, you know, Prince just came out of nowhere. No, something tells me that fool was looking in the mirror a long time before anybody else ever saw him on stage doing the stuff that he was doing. He practiced a lot on his own. He, you know, it's, yeah. it's there's just no way around it. David Bowie's the same kind of guy mm-hmm. where you just think, man, this is a guy that was just relentless. They just put the time in what we would probably call crazy or conceited or whatever, you know, you would look at it. They were just putting that much time into what they, to the vision that they saw of what they were going to become. And that taking a photo of what you think looks like that is not the same thing.
0: Yes. <laughs> <It's-> yeah, no. No. <laughs> No, and even and Bowie had those like there's those early 45s that are on compilations now where he's doing completely different music. So folk music. Yeah, like folk took, Bowie. <laughs> yeah, it took him a while to find that sound too, right? He needed to yep. put in those hours. Uh, yep. And the proof is out there.
1: Yeah, and and he also did some really cool stuff where he where he still stayed true to those those old roots like when he would write these songs, but he'd have other guys come in and reimagine it. Like I heard Let's Dance t- sounded totally different when he took it to Nile Rodgers and he said, no, no, dude, let's start it because Nile Rodgers was doing all the chic thing and you start everything with the chorus, you know, freak out, whatever. (laughs) It all all starts like that. So he just said, let's, let's just flip it all around and put the chorus right at the top. Cause he said it wasn't, he said it wasn't anything like that until he flipped it around. It's like, Oh yeah. You have some other people come in here and just kind of crack your eye open on your own shit. It's, it's cool.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess that's like why he had that longevity. Is he knew who to kind of be beside who was mm-hmm. who had it who had a great idea
1: because <laughs> that whole record was a great idea. A lot of great ideas yeah. that he borrowed.
0: <laughs> He's like, hey, she, you know what you're doing? Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> well, well, it goes back to what you're saying about you know Fishbone and the Red Hot Chili Peppers and and you know like there's like a, a, a appropriation of a black culture by white musicians that is the horrible story that goes throughout the history of, of all music but rock and roll specifically
1: it is it is and then but there's always any time that i start to talk about this i never wanted to ever sound like somebody just came and they just stole it all it's not like that mm-hmm. they don't, they, don't mm-hmm. they didn't just come and take it word for word verbatim like they didn't it's it's the white influence on the black culture or whatever it is at the way that they heard it and then they go and they do it And then it gets promoted. It doesn't make it not good. Mm -hmm. It just, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it doesn't make it like another create, like there, it had to have their input. Like somebody in Mississippi was never going to come up with what the who came with, what Pete Townsend came up with, with the who, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It it wasn't going to happen like that. It wasn't going to just be that it had to have that post-war influence of the UK to, be injected into it to sound like it did. You know, there, there are there are these other elements that have to happen. You know, there had to be a lot of suffering in the United States. I'm not saying this. I don't want anybody to blog me like, she sounds like she's pro-slavery. I'm not. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that a lot of this stuff comes from the, like, the the blues comes from that. Mm-hmm. It comes, that's an element that comes from that culture and what happens when those things happen and then it gets shipped back over somewhere else. And then it's exposed to that, those things happening there. It, it's just this kind of exchange, how it's monetized, how people fuck other people over because of it, that, you know, that's human nature. People just do raunchy shit to each other.
0: Yeah. And as you said, it's also this cultural erasure that kind of happens where, you know, you don't have fishbone, allowed to get to that next level because there's right. someone who's taking that spot.
1: Right. Right. Where somebody just says, oh, yeah, this is going to be – or it's – you know, I I go back in my mind over and over again with how that stuff – how it actually worked. And it's really difficult for me to see where where exactly the divide is, like where somebody says, oh, okay, well – This is, this is, we're not letting you through this door or we're not having, this will not be used as bumper music for this or, or we're just going to push everything towards, uh, what was the big shit that was popping off during that time? The new anniversary of Woodstock or (laughs) (laughs) whatever, or people wearing light bulbs on their head instead of the actual music. When people started just kind of really getting, getting, uh. More in tune with what uh what they saw instead of what they heard,
0: yeah, the gimmicks the gimmicks, yeah,
1: when that was when everything really got super gimmicky and m t v wasn 't worth a shit, <laughs> like they were barely worth a shit, but then they really weren 't worth a shit. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no. Then it then it became well. Now it's and and what is it now even worth? Like I don't. Know. I know,
1: I know. And and you can't and you can't buy time on that. Place. No.
0: And would you want to at this point? No. You'd be between I know. Mom I know. and something else. And-
1: I know it's all. It's like no music. It's called music television, and there's no fucking music.
0: Well, our our much music here, which is you know the our equivalent in Canada, uh, they just drop music from the name, so now it's just much and. <laughs> it's like just—the day the music literally died for them. They're just like, yeah. Oh just my
1: god! Sh- and they don't play them. any music
0: anymore. Now it's just comedy shows.
1: Good for them for just like owning it. Yeah,
0: they and... own it. Well, that's what MTV should just call itself TV now. Yeah, just, <laughs> just TV. TV. Um, just TV. Going back to the Rose Thorns, like, where did that band kind of fit in? I love that record, by the way. I don't know what your feelings are on that on that record. I love so it too. It was
1: I always thought of it as a very honest. I always wish we had kept that name too. I always wish we had just kept the Rose Thorns cuz it it actually when Bob came up with that he just said it was it was sweet and hard and it was it was I don't know. It, but I think that was Bob, did you come up with the Rose Thorns on your own before before I was ever in it? Yeah, so he had a band, he had started the Rose Thorns and I wasn't even in it.
0: Oh, it's such um, a. And once again, like that record's fantastic. But so, like, who did you, like, who would you play with? Because, like, you know, like it doesn't sound, you know, obviously like anything else. We're just gonna I know. About.
1: But back then, we played with everybody. We played with mm-hmm. Voodoo Glow Skulls. We played with <laughs> with whoever they would put us with on the. Um, there was a band called Smokestacks out here that was like, you know, if there's a band that I wish people actually knew about, they were out before Sublime. Okay. And they were Riverside Bass, guy named Mark what's Mark's last name? Bob? Mark Nimitz. And he had been in a couple he's like a great songwriter. He still writes songs and stuff nowadays and runs a music school for kids. But um he had this band, it was a three piece, and they slayed. They just they were a three piece and they just kicked ass. And this is this is at least Two or three years before Sublime had even hit, okay, but they played that kind of music. They played that kind of stuff, and they were they were like skinheads, but not skinheads. Mm-hmm. They were just guys with skinheads <laughs> 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 and no agenda in yeah. any yeah. way, like yeah. that. <laughs> but we would play with bands like them and you know like i said the voodoo glow Skulls and velvet elvis and um i'm trying to think of some of those other bands from back then uh the oh, what was the one the guys from uh the guys from what's his name is in new mexico now spiderworks Spider and which was a total metal band i mean it was like going to going to spanky's back then it was just like You didn't know what you were going to see. You paid three bucks to get in, and you got your ears filled. And it was a great – I mean – it had this obnoxious salad bar in the middle of it and everybody was selling up bar. and play <laughs> I know <laughs> a salad bar with no salad. It never had food in it. It was just always in the way. <laughs> and it was
0: <laughs> I think thankfully it didn't have food in it. I could only imagine what that would look yeah, like.
1: It, it would have been horrible. A uh, road horror. Bands like Road Horror were there and I mean it was just out of control and Road Horror consisted of guys that had been in uh, white flag oh yeah from you know out here as well and um it was just it was there's a lot I mean if you think about the fact that they used to have a stop out here that everybody that was in a rock band stopped at at that swing auditorium that's literally ten miles away from here. So you have a lot of people out here that constantly were into going to see music, that always went to go see stuff, that were that were used to being a part of music. And not being in some big metropolitan area, which was, I guess, another cool thing about um, LA and why you have, you know, the kind of bands that you end up having, because you have all these kids exposed to going to shows and being being around live music and rock.
0: Mm-hmm. No, and it's also, I guess, like, there's no other place like it on earth where you have that much music, I, I find, like where you could have, it's so spread out that you could have like a million different shows happening.
1: (laughs) You can, and you did, and you literally did have that, you know, it was just one of those things where everybody, there was always a show going on somewhere, you know, but, um, yeah, when we did, when we had stuff like, uh, you know, when we were doing uh, the Rose Thorns, it was, it was a mixed bag, and that's the way shows were, that's the way the shows were out here, out now. The reason we were playing the shows out here and not in L.A. is because during that time, that was notoriously pay to play. Mm. And so I, I'm sure you guys know all about that. But that that was that was a at the time, I think it was a very uniquely L.A. thing where mm. they'd have you sell tickets, quote unquote, sell tickets, which meant you just brought them a lot a wad of cash <laughs> yeah. so that you could play at their club on a Tuesday night at 7 p.m. on a Tuesday night to uh, nobody <laughs> but yep. you could say you played at the teaser yep. or wherever it was that you were trying to play or <laughs> you
0: know I, I, every band like it was like a rite of passage almost you had to like oh yeah do one of these shows we had to sell like yeah like give them a thousand dollars to play a show
1: <laughs> to play a show I, I tell people that all the time i'm like are you out of your fucking mind yeah who that's like you saying you know i really want to be a writer But instead of just working as an apprentice under somebody and not getting paid, I'm going to go the extra mile and actually (laughs) not learn anything. Just show up, give this guy some money and have him print out whatever it is that I write just to make sure that it's printed and nobody ever reads it. (laughs)
0: That's... <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Because like, who's going to a battle of the bands type show? That <laughs> battle actually... of the bands. Oh my god! <laughs> that like, like that likes music. Like who's like, right. hey, oh, let's go see right. the bands.
1: Who <laughs> wants to be assaulted in that way oh. for as long as you have to be assaulted for? And they in go a on forever. Of the bands. And they go on forever. And they're always at some you know park with the <laughs> with the the what are the the the. Um, the room, the multi-purpose room with everybody in it. And it's the sun is shining outside. So nobody wants to be in that room. <laughs> so the band is literally always playing to no one until it's dark. Yeah. And, and then by the time it's dark, nobody wants to still be there. Battle yeah. of the bands, dude, you said, Ooh, Ugh. those three words. <laughs> yep.
0: The, uh, the, the, but I, like how many people did that drive to, kind of like doing DIY stuff and like to just like take it into their own hands
1: or, or us just saying we can't do this anymore. I remember us just kind of making that choice where we just said, this is, this is actually killing us. This will make me want to quit doing this. If we keep doing this kind of a thing, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would, I would, I would think that it actually got a lot of people. I mean, think of how many zines were out. Think of how many like people did so much stuff with their time. Before we had cell phones and email. Yeah. They did all kinds of stuff. Oh, so much. All the time. So Can you believe activities. it? I used to think about that. I used to think about like, how do people make all these deadlines? Like yeah. I'm, I'm in the middle of, of candy crush. I can't get out of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. I, got-
0: <laughs> I know. I, I put my kids to bed every night and I resume my addiction to angry birds too.
1: And- <laughs> it's just, and we all do it.
0: I know. Productive people, creative people uh. do it. It is, it's, it's the great, it's, it's going to be the great thing that, well, not the great, the, the horrible thing that people look back on being like, what, how much creativity was <laughs> lost to those things? How much great art was lost?
1: Self-sabotage. Yeah. What if, what if we just go in and just say, fuck that, I'm going to play, I'm going to beat this game.
0: I am going to blitz my way to sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So uh, going back to the Rose Thorns, what was the transition to the Bell Rays like? What what led to the name change and what led to, uh, you know, like the sort of like, because obviously the sound's different. And what was that sound transition like?
1: Well, I mean, the the most obvious part, the band itself was on the verge of imploding. So I just gave it the final stab in the heart. (laughs) 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 We was on the verge of, you know, The drummer that's not gonna show up, that's Mm -hmm. gonna almost be at the shows. The bass player that's not gonna want to learn anything outside of what was really comfortable, and he was really good at, and he was really good at it. But we wanted to do other. We wanted to be that band that was closer to being like a Fishbone kind of band, which meant that you had to, you had to, to reach out. I remember one of the things that really kind of made us say, "We gotta, we there is something more for us to do." We had seen. And it goes back to Fishbowl, and this is so funny. We saw the beginning, we saw the first show um, for that tour, the Truth and Soul, and the last show for that tour. And they were both in L.A. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, the, just the, the way that they had evolved from the start of the tour to the end of the tour, where I could hear what had happened within the songs mm-hmm. and just know, like, this is literally a year – a year of time that they've been on the road playing and they were hot they were just oh my god they were just that band at that time they were just I just couldn't see anything but you know what everybody else was afraid to do and they were actually just doing it and they and nobody even knew they were afraid to do it because nobody had done it that was <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah. i just thought wow there's so much room for us to to do that and soda and bob was really Bob was itching for it more than I was. And then, you know, you, that the Rose Thorns became a little bit unstable and we just kind of said, well, let's, it's time to do something else and we just need to open it up and it needs to be, you know, a, a a punk band or a rock band with jazz sensibilities and we'll just kind of feel it out. And, you know, for that, for that, we just kind of left it open. We weren't really trying to say this is exactly what we're going to do. We just knew we didn't want to pin ourselves into being one thing, which I think is unfortunately haunted us for the rest of our lives because we're that band that said, I don't want to define what we, it is that we do. Why? Why does anybody have to do that? Well, fast forward. 35 years to the future and we know why we probably should have taken a different stance on that. It's it's such
0: a safety and genre thing. You know, it's like that. It does provide Mm -hmm. such a security blanket for bands, but rarely are those the bands that kind of, you know, get remembered.
1: Oh, yeah. And I wanted to be better. Yeah. I think both of us, Bob and and I both wanted to be better than we were at that time. So if we would have tried to just kind of say, okay, this is what we're going to do then. I would have never come into the way that I sing. I didn't sing like I sang when we started the Bell Rays and how I sing now. I didn't I didn't even know how to get there. I didn't even have a roadmap on how I was going to get there. I didn't even know that that I could use that stuff against, you know, I, I didn't even have the the tools to really know what it was we wanted to do with that band when we decided that we wanted to do a band like the Bell Rays. And we we just kinda kept our minds open and and really asked for that outside influence of the other people playing and, you know, to to figure out where we were gonna go. And then when we found stuff that we wanted to bite on, we bit on it and just kinda rode with that. So I mean I think that's one of that's Bob and I talk about what our superpower is is we're able to we're we're that we're those people that are able to go in and really make a band sound good, mostly because we spent so many years trying to sound good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Working on sounding good and and knowing that that was the work that we were doing. We were trying to get it to be what we figured out we wanted. We didn't know what we wanted. We just knew it. we didn't have it. If that makes any sense. I don't know if it it
0: definitely makes sense. And I think, I think also as a vocalist too, um, you know, it's, 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 it's so much more than just, you know, like any other instrument because it's like a, you're, you're actually like a physical muscle that you're exercising and you're developing. So, you know, Yep. Yeah.
1: (laughs) yes, indeed. And it took, it took years. It took long, slow-moving years to get to where it was like, "Oh, that's what I'm trying to get. That's what I want to hear," you know. And it was many, many shows of disappointment, practices of just despair.
0: <laughs> it, which is amazing to me because I like, you know, I, like obviously I hear changes in the voice, um, but like it, it's such a powerful voice, even on in the light of the sun, you know, like right from the get go. Um, you know, but it's, was there a point where you're finally were like, yep, yeah, this, this is what I, this is where I want to be.
1: Oh yeah. I remember, I remember we were doing a, uh, this is back when Tony was, Tony was sitting in with us. We had this thing at a time, a very short window of time where we had two guitarists in the bell rays. It was like 95 ish somewhere around there, and he, because his band, the Gray Spikes, had just kind of fallen to pieces, and but he had put all this stuff out to, you know, put word out with these other groups, and one of them came back and said, we would love to have the Gray Spikes on this comp. Can you do a song? And Tony was really prolific, and he had all these songs written. But they said, uh, I think, what was it, they wanted to do, they wanted to do a, uh, he got asked to do a compilation for the saints nights in venice
0: oh for 1 plus 2 records that you did right yes yeah
1: that that thing that record right there was when we were we were just supposed to be helping him do this this uh this you know fulfill this guy's uh <laughs> request to do this the the song and we went in on a weekend and we just kicked the shit out of that song and i rem- and bob played bass because Tony played guitar in the Gray Spikes. Mm -hmm. So that was how it just kind of flipped over. But having having Bob play bass, because we had had Tony play bass in the Bell Rays before, and he didn't push it. He didn't push it like Bob knew how to push it. And Bob came in there and just pushed, just kicked that whole recording into the stratosphere. And that was when we knew, oh man, this is, and I just sang, I sang to that. And it's like, I didn't even really know. It was kind of like an out of body experience when you have everything just work Mm -hmm. the way, and you've been doing, you've been putting the work in and everything. And even though you haven't gotten, you haven't heard what you want to hear, you haven't recorded what you think that you want to, how you want to record it up until that point, there was something, there was something super magical about that moment. And we just said, Oh, this is who, this is what the bell race should be. This is, this is what we've been trying to get to. This is the Stop right here (laughs) let's just expound on this
0: and it's such a great compilation too like you obviously your track on that is like a standout track but it's like what a, you know and i was gonna say like by that point did you feel almost like the bell race had kind of felt like you don't sound like these bands i don't mean to to put you in a pigeonhole like that, but at the yeah, same
1: time. yeah. No, but we don't, we don't sound like, we don't sound like anybody, but do you feel like
0: you found kindred spirits at, at the same time, like a little bit more sonically that were kind of like, you know, doing, doing rock and roll.
1: We, that's a really good question. I don't ever really remember feeling like we've had kindred spirits throughout my career mm-hmm. as a musician. And I, f- I find that as a failing, in myself just not looking just not listening just not really being readily available to hear everything that's going on out there because I became you know it's not hard to see how that happens but you have all those practices you have all those rehearsals you have this big goal that you're working for toward and I wasn't listening to a lot of other people I would hear them but I wasn't listening to them Mm -hmm. you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so it's it's I don't know, we just kind of we kind of never really glommed onto community in in that way. Not that we weren't always so happy to be with bands that that kicked ass cuz I always felt like I was in good company anytime I saw a band that just knew how to hold their own on stage. Sonically, I've never really thought of anybody as doing what it is that we really do because I don't even know if we really do what we, (laughs) 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 well, we do all the time, but we, you know, I know we're trying, I know we're working toward that end, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think we're, we're not alone in what we do, but we've still never gotten like a thing where people, where other people always say, yeah, you know, like it was in the beginning when when the Rose thorns were played. Yeah. Just put all those bands on that bill together. Let's mm-hmm. just do that. It's like, as soon as they see black female singers, like, Oh, we got to rethink this whole thing, you know? <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like I, I, you know, why well, I, I obviously uh, don't know, but I can, a hundred percent, understand from what you're talking about and under, understand what you're saying. And like, I think that's the thing is like, once again, just looking at it from the geographical distance, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, you, mm-hmm. you don't always get the whole picture.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah, and and that's not even putting into like real context the other super shady shit that was going on um that a lot of bands that were putting their time in uh in the late 90s in the LA scene. We had no idea that they had just decided, "Oh, we're going to say that this band the Strokes is out here doing all the same shit that you guys are doing. And then we're going to tout them as the band that's been on the road, really, you know, cutting their teeth doing this indie punk rock kind of just like what nobody ever even saw those guys <laughs> they just literally popped out of they just appeared on the cover of NME with you know spending four thousand dollars a month on a publicist when most of us couldn't even afford that much on a van
0: yeah you know <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> but on like, a shitty van <laughs>
0: well, and, and but I was also like you know and talk about like the lack of power those record that like their record in particular kind of has compared to some of the stuff we're talking about like you know you brought up tony fate i love the sins like that's low-key one of my favorite bands his first band
1: awesome yeah Uh, we do we do too
0: oh incredible and like you know in in the gray spikes and obviously yourselves and like there's just like a lot of bands that had like like this power like that's the thing i guess i was trying to tap into like once again looking at it from a distance like Mm -hmm. there was a wave of bands that just got this like power back in their sound and you know i guess jeff Dahl was kind of doing with power trip earlier and there's like
1: oh yeah there were a lot of bands that were just you know you had all these guys that had something to say that you know that were pissed off that they had something to say Mm -hmm. and then they knew how to say it and then they had you know this ability to really transform a line you know to really make it stick there's you know tony Tony had a lot of uh, really, let me put it this way. I never really considered Tony an eloquent guy, but I found his songs to be quite eloquent. (laughs) It's like all of that power went into that. Yeah. It went into like all of the, everything that he wanted to do and be went into crafting these songs. And I think that so many guys, so many people put their heart and soul when they were in these bands and going to do this, they said, this is going to be an expression of myself. It was not a means to make money. It was not like I'm going to go and be able to tour and do whatever it is that I want to do. You didn't know what was going to happen with that. We were still working with the a record industry that didn't know jack shit about anything, except that they liked making a lot of money and not being creative themselves at all. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. No, yeah, so, it, yeah definitely. You know,
1: we, we were just doing it when we were, when we were really trying to just do what we were doing, we were, we were writing for each other. You know, we were playing for each other. At least that's the way that I saw it. And, and probably with with guys like Jeff Dahl, that's the same kind of thing that was going on. They were really, I can't speak for them, but I'm just thinking for it to be that true and that rich and that have that stank, you know, because yeah. yeah. that's the thing. That's yeah. the, that's the magic. That's the magic soft. It's not the chord or the line or the chorus or sure you can have a well crafted song but if it if you don't believe it fuck that song.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Well and and that's what you're saying like you know there's bands that faked it but like there's bands that lived it.
1: Yeah. And but they but the thing is the the joke was on everybody else cuz the bands that were faking it were getting through <laughs> getting through with like (laughs) gangbusters man and they were everybody was lapping that shit up because they fit in a pair of skinny jeans and it's just like
0: (laughs) what whatever it helps if your dad owns elite modeling too right it does it does does. uh, Lisa, this has been incredible and obviously i could talk to you forever but would you come back (laughs) at some point for a part two
1: Absolutely, uh,
0: absolutely friggin loudly, bef- dude. But before I let you go, I, I do have to talk to you what I, I kind of briefly punish you about off-air before we started, <laughs> which is uh, the incredible, like I would say definitive version of yes. I Got a Right that you did uh, a couple years ago now, three four years ago now.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe even, yeah, at least four years. I think it was 2016 or 2050.
0: Yeah, I think 16. It
1: was, yeah, it was one of those things where... Um, I mean, that was, I don't know what, anything you want to talk about, about that record. Just tell me because I, that's like one of those things where every little moment of it, every fragment of that time that I got to do that is just like distilled
0: in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I I basically want to hear everything, but like, I think for me, that song is so like, to me, that's like the first. Like real punk song that where you hear all the Sonics come together Mm -hmm. and it's like, it's just like this perfect confluence and just as like, Oh, that's it. Like, you know, it's like, what is punk? You know, it's like, well, that's it. That's, that's, that's
1: I, I, that is a great, I love that you said that because to me, that's what it always, when I talk to guys like Wayne Kramer and the MC five and about those, what it was that they were trying to do. I always think about that song Mm -hmm. as, Oh, that's where you guys were going. Mm -hmm. That's where you guys were going with that. This is who you were trying. This is who you were ripping off. Yeah. Is if you could do that kind of thing. And I was really fortunate. The, the Stooges had already cut that track, and they were just looking for it. And dude, this is the even better part. Like I got called, um, I got called to come down and and to do us to do a song. Or they were they were trying to just say they said uh I can't. It was Joe Cardamom from um the Icarus Line. He was working with um. He was working with James uh, Williams. Williamson yeah. at the time, and he said, hey, we're just trying to get a bunch of people in here to come and do takes, and I brought your name up, and uh, James heard a couple of things, and he was thinking you could come down. Dude, I never in a million years thought that I got it right was one of the songs <laughs> of because I tell, I tell everybody this. I would have sang happy birthday for him if he would have said <laughs> <laughs> just to be near that recording but we got down there and he said yeah I want you to do I gotta write I was just like all right I'll do this and I ran it um I ran it a couple times and James was like man I think we got it and then Bob happened to be there in the control room with him while I was doing it and Bob told him he said you know you can do what you want to do but he said I think there's like she's just warming up for this version. I said he said if you really wanted to be kicking with the rails off, just give her a couple more passes. Cuz that's a thing that I've actually run into a lot with recording is a, a bunch of people are so used to having to work. I'm good at recording and I'm good at getting good takes. That doesn't mean I'm at my best take mm-hmm. when somebody thinks that they got a good take. So, having Bob there to say that really, I mean, James has thanked him over and over again for that <laughs> on "Infinitum," and so have I, because it's just one of those things where it's like, man, it could have gone it could have gone that way where it just ends up being that track on the, on the record that's just OK. That's good. Maybe even great, but not that track. Not that track, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and I think that's, once again, like, you know, you know, James being a guitarist and not necessarily knowing you and, and not being a vocalist, like, you know, doesn't realize that, once again, it's a different muscle. Like, it's not the same yeah. as your fingers where you get tired eventually. Like, you got to warm this thing up and, and it changes as you warm it up.
1: And people don't expect that in punk. Yeah. People don't, they never expect a singer that's going to come in and lay it down like that. And that's one of the reasons, like, when you were saying... Who are, you know, Did we feel like we had a kindred spirit with some of these other people? It's one of those other reasons that I've always kind of felt like we're just not, we don't quite click mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. Mostly because we, you know, because I'm a singer-singer. And I actually remember us being like not allowed to to play. Uh, what was that place in San? It was in uh, Berkeley. The, one of those. The Gilman. Yep. I sent, a, I sent a tape down there for them to, for the bell Rays. I sent Let It Blast when we were first uh, looking for shows because everybody said, oh, you got to go down to the Gilman and you got to, you know, send them stuff and they'll be glad to have you. I sent it down there, did a follow up call, got a guy on the phone. He said, yeah, we're not really into your kind of vocals. We're more into screaming chick vocals. Oh my
0: god. Yeah.
1: Like that was but that was when those lines were drawn in punk yeah. like in ska and punk and all this stuff and people were really trying to say that punk started with Green Day and it was just like no. <laughs> it doesn't start there. And the guys that were really doing punk weren't listening to shit like I mean not that Green Day's a bad band. They're a great band,
0: but um there's Jeff Dahl wasn't listening to it. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it's just one of those things where, where that, that kind of, you know, it's just people aren't used to that. They're used to performances by, you know, by guys, theatrical performances, vocally, maybe, but they're not really used to um, a singer. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was really, uh, I was really, really, really glad that Bob was there to push that into that stratosphere.
0: I hope Bob got a co-producer credit, at least on the track. Bob is owed co-producer
1: credit on so many things that he has (laughs) never, because he's not, he's not a big ego guy. You know, it's just one of those things. And, you know, that's, it's probably one of the things that helps the Bell Rays work like it does is, is that's all I am. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> well you know i it's I, I i sing in a band myself um not obviously not like what you do ob- but i i sing in a band myself and uh i went for dinner with this canadian musician guy years ago who's well known here and he he said Lead singers have to wear it differently than anyone else in the band. And and the things that you have to carry as a lead singer, it's almost like you need people around you with no or low ego to allow you to kind of experience what you have to experience as a singer.
1: To go to make yourself big enough to, to tell yourself you need to be big enough so that you are big enough to fill up a stage. It's it's not because you should be that guy, <laughs> that asshole of a guy, mm-hmm. but it's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's just because it, you have nothing else to shield yourself. You don't have a guitar, or even if you have a guitar in front of you, your, your face and your, your mouth is still open to, like, you the target is on you. Mm-hmm. People think of it as like, well, all the attention is going to you. No, all the, it, it is all the attention, but it could also just go bad really quickly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It would all fall on the singer. It wouldn't fall on anybody else. They would remember the singer. They would all, all identify with the singer. So I totally, I totally agree with that.
0: (laughs) I guess the singer is also the gateway to the band too, right? Like that's the, Mm -hmm. that's the way the audience is coming into the band. So when they turn on the band, they turn on the singer.
1: Oh yeah. Oh
0: yeah! <laughs> I don't. Know, I'm, tell, I'm telling the audience more than I'm telling you. What they, what's happening. Oh
1: yeah. yeah! No, it's it's one of those. You're absolutely right, though, because Bob always said it was because it's the one thing that everybody else can do. Everybody can't yeah. might not be yeah. able to play guitar or drums or whatever else, but e- even if you don't do it well, everybody can sing. <laughs> everybody can identify with that yeah. opening your mouth and making notes. So. It does make sense.
0: Well, it's like when you watch one of those singing audition shows, and you see the people that come out that have no clue how bad they sound, and you're like, "Wow, everyone does think they can sing." <laughs> 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 uh, Lisa, as I say, this has been unbelievable, and uh, thank you so much for doing what you do. And would you come back, as I say, for part two sometime down the line?
1: Absolutely. Whenever you, whenever you get the an idea that you want to do that, just pop me a text and you got my number and we can do whatever you need to do. Just let me know.
0: Thank you, Lisa, for coming on the show. And you're right there. Lisa, will be back for a part two in the near future. And, uh, maybe I'll we'll get slim and Lisa on, uh, if, you know, close to the tour, you know, depending on how everything goes and, you know, When, when the tour does get rescheduled or if it has to be rescheduled or whatever, but they will both be back on again. Thank you, Melanie, for helping me set this all up today. And thank you for checking both these episodes out. And if you haven't checked out the Slim episode, it's completely different, but an amazing episode looking at the Gothic history of the Denver and Boulder scenes and just Colorado in general. Definitely check out that episode as well. Oh, that's it. Okay next week on the show or later this week on the show cuz i'm i'm uh, i'm keeping it up you know it's going to coming out in like 2 days or something <laughs> whitmer thomas of of i guess you may have seen him on a, a walking dead and things like that but if you have not seen his golden one the golden one special that he did for hbo you are missing out on I put it to him on this thing. One of the greatest works of art I've ever seen. It is not just a comedy special. It's a documentary. It's a personal exploration. Like, I went into it knowing very little about it and walked away just completely blown away. So I I don't want to ruin it for you. If you've heard about it from people and you're kind of like, I don't know, it's a stand-up comedy special, you know, it is is so much more than that. And if you're a fan of comedy, check it out because it's also got some incredibly – Unbelievably hilarious things in it too. It's very very funny, but uh, it's not just a comedy special. It it's something really special. And so, wits on the show next week to talk all about it. Talk about a weird fucked up connection uh, and and more. It's a fantastic episode. I just keep saying next week. It's coming up like very soon. But check out that episode. It is it's a great one. Um, and that's it. Uh, everyone, please stay safe out there right now. Look out for those more vulnerable than you are. Um don't don't hoard. Uh don't let this turn you cold or make you hard. Like we're going to get through this and uh yeah, stay safe out there. Uh I, I love all you, Really. And uh see you next episode.